0: pull out your sermon insert there. We're going to be continuing our study, our survey through the Old Testament, looking at God's unfolding grace as one unified story of which we are part. We are coming to the the first chapters of 1 Kings. 1 Kings 1 through 4, looking at a guy you may know, King Solomon. To help catch us up, um, on the very front of your worship booklet, Roger and I often put a pre-service reflection there for you just to think about, to maybe even read if you get to your seat before we start. And on the front of your worship booklet, the pre-service reflection is from a book by Drew Hunter. He's a pastor in the city, a friend of Roger's, a friend of mine, Um, and he wrote a book published with Crossway called Unfolding Grace, and I thought it just does a, a superb job catching us up. Where have we been thus far as we come to the text of 1 Kings 1-4? through And so I just want to read that to you. This will serve as our little introduction, if you will. Drew Hunter, in Unfolding Grace, he has this to say. David is a generous and just king, but he shares the same sinful nature as the rest of humanity. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and then tries to cover it up by plotting the murder of her noble husband, Uriah. When the prophet Nathan confronts David, God grants David deep and true repentance. God forgives him and renews him by grace. Yet this moral failure is a turning point. Much like the sin of Adam and Israel before him, David's sons commit grievous sins, and one of them even plots a conspiracy to overthrow him. The flaws of David leave Israel longing for a true and better king. With this in mind, the opening pages of 1 Kings sets our attention on Solomon, the next king in David's line. In Eden, we saw God's people in God's place, enjoying his presence and reflecting his rule. By partially reestablishing these blessings under David and Solomon, God creates a picture of the true kingdom. He will one day fully restore to our world. Close quote. I felt like I could not improve on Pastor Hunter's words there, so I just wanted to quote him from the outset. And with that, we're now coming to the text of 1 Kings. Our game plan this morning, as you're looking, you're like, that is a lot of words, that's a lot of Bible, yes. We are going to move uh, quickly through those. So my, my game plan is to take a chunk or a paragraph from 1 Kings 2, and First Kings 3, and First Kings 4, make a couple observations as we go, and then apply it to our lives, our souls, as we make some Christological applications. Per usual, it's a large task, but one I hope will be fruitful, and I am going to use Solomon. Yes, I am. I'm unashamed about it. I'm going to use him this morning to point you to Jesus. And I'm just letting you know that from the outset. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with First Kings chapter 2. All throughout this morning, we're going to be seeing how the story of Solomon points us back to God's promise to Abraham, but oftentimes pointing us forward to another king, a greater king that is yet to come from Solomon's perspective, but now from us, we're looking back, he has come, the other greater King Solomon, the wiser king, Jesus Christ, Jesus King. So, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, follow along as I read these words when david's time to dr- to die drew near he commanded solomon his son saying i am about to go the way of all the earth be strong and show yourself a man keep the charge of the lord god walking in his ways and keeping his statutes his commandments his rules and his testimonies as it is written in the law of moses So that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. We'll do that throughout the morning, a little call and response to to keep everyone awake, Two things I want us to see here, right? David is dying, and he is speaking to his son, Solomon, who is now taking the throne. This is an example of the story of kings pointing us back, okay? Pointing back in two ways at least. The first way that this story is pointing us back to the story that we've already studied is through Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. This is a passage you've probably heard Roger and I say over and over again, but it's not one that we studied in our survey as we were going through the Old Testament. But Deuteronomy 17, if you recall, is the guidelines, the instructions on being a godly king. It's in Deuteronomy, the the books of Moses, the law of Moses, and, and God says through his prophet Moses to Israel that when you come into the land that I'm giving you, You will set up kings, and here's how the kings should be. Here's how they are to live. They're to be godly. David would have heard the words of Deuteronomy 17. As a matter of fact, um, we're not sure if they did this, but when the kings took the throne and became the king, they were supposed to, by hand, write down all of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, by hand. And then take that to themselves, read it, meditate on it, and then live it and obey it. So David has certainly done that. He knows it. He's telling his son some things from Deuteronomy 17. Be strong. More than that, show yourself a man, Solomon. But it goes deeper. It's not just about strength. not just about manliness to be a a king after God's own heart. It has to do with godliness. Look at verse 3. Keep the charge of the Lord. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his rules. Know what God has spoken. Believe it. Do it. Be godly. But it's not the only way that this passage is pointing us back. It's pointing us back to Deuteronomy 17. But it's also pointing us back to what we looked at last week. Roger preached a sermon. If you didn't listen to it, I'd encourage you to do so. He preached on 2 Samuel 7. It was a great sermon, but I encourage you to go back and listen to it because, as he said, most theologians believe that that is the single most important Old Testament passage for understanding the whole of Scripture, the Davidic covenant. Now, we don't exactly have a restatement of the covenant, but it's certainly mentioned in verse 4. David telling Solomon, be a man, show yourself a man, be strong, know the word of God, obey the word of God, so that, verse 4, God may establish his word concerning me, David, when he told me that if your sons pay attention to the way they walk, I'll always have one of your children on the throne. Now, in a lot of ways, we're gonna, be, we're gonna see Solomon be a great fulfillment of a lot of this. And then at the same time, a huge mess, a huge failure. We're gonna see uh, Solomon usher in peace and prosperity that Israel has not seen before. Shalom, as Roger mentioned in his, his prayer. But in a lot of ways, Solomon is going to disappoint. He's going to worship different gods. He's going to have a lot of wives, lead them astray. Um, he's going to end up doing, in a lot of ways, all the bad stuff Deuteronomy 17 warned against. Here's a good king, here are bad kings, and Solomon's going to do a lot of the bad stuff. So, those are two ways 1 Kings 2, verses 1 through 4 have have pointed us back to the story that we've been studying thus far. with Deuteronomy 17, 2 Samuel 7. So what? I think there is something for us here. Because, yes, certainly King David is passing along wisdom to King Solomon, his son, on ways to be a godly king. And yet, I think there's some semblance here for what God desires of all of his people now. Living in the the New Testament, the New Covenant era, where we have the law, not only of Moses, but the word of God. So whether a godly king or a leader, we might say, or a man or a woman, young, old, student, single, married, be strong. Show yourself a godly man. Show yourself a godly woman. Know the words that God has given to us, his written revelation. Love God. Believe his word. Obey it. And when we fall, repent and repent quickly because he's gracious. These words are for Solomon from David, but also for us in a lot of ways. I'm going to show you one other thing in 1 Kings chapter 2. And this is where you're probably like, why is he going to talk about this one? This is on the bottom left of your worship booklet, moving right along, verses 10 through 12. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. This is the word of the Lord. But why? Why read this? Right? If you're new to the Bible, it says David slept with his fathers. That's a biblical expression for he died. David died. David was buried. But why am I spending time, precious time, on a Sunday, a Lord's Day, to read that passage to you that David died and David was buried? Why focus on this? Because the New Testament does. The New Testament makes mention of this thing right here. A couple of times, but one in particular, one of the closest apostles to our Lord Jesus was the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter. In the book of Acts, which is the story uh, basically from the Ascension all the way to the church expanding to the nation, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, Peter gives the first sermon in Acts chapter 2 after the Spirit has has been sent upon the first century disciples. He stands up and gives this amazing sermon. In the sermon, he quotes from Psalm 16. Personally, one of my favorite psalms, it begins with, preserve me, O Lord. It's an ask, and then it moves into this strange language about God preserving and not letting his holy one see corruption. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or Hades. And it's got that, that passage, that you make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, pleasures forevermore so Peter quotes that you will not abandon my my soul to Hades and you won't let your Holy One see corruption what and what does Peter say listen to these words brothers I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke, in Psalm 16, about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. That's evangelism. That's the evangelistic tactic of Peter is to talk about their great king David dying and still being dead. It's rock solid truth for the, that the first century church stood upon and often referenced over and over again. David died. His body buried Solomon our character today while breath in his lungs in 1 Kings 1 through 4 died his body buried still buried many of us likely all of us unless Jesus comes back going to die but the true king the better king the greater David the greater Solomon is alive. He died a criminal's death on a cross for our sin, but he burst forth from the grave on the third day. He's alive right now in the heavenly places, and we're somehow seated with him. Jesus is not dead. It means a number of things for us, but brothers and sisters, let's just zoom out for a moment, take a deep breath. If we have one in our lives who died and is not dead now, He gets to tell us what to do, what to think, what to be, what is true, regardless of what the culture around us is telling us about whatever issue is hot right now, Jesus is the authority because he died and rose again. The church throughout the ages have have put a lot of weight in the reality that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is not still in the grave like David. So let us do the same. Romans 4 even tells us, the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church, he says, We will be counted righteous who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. The fact that Jesus died in our place for our sins, for our trespasses, it says that he rose, he was raised for our justification. So if we, as the text says, believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, we're justified, counted righteous, verdict, not guilty. There is therefore, brothers and sisters, now no condemnation for you who are in Jesus Christ. And yes, I got all of that from one verse. David slept with his fathers. The first David is still dead. His body, I should say. The son of Abraham, son of David, the Savior of the world, King Jesus, is not. He's with you. He sees you. And the grave had no hold on him. That was easy. Moving right along. First Kings chapter 3 now. So we've basically just had David's wisdom to Solomon. David's, uh, Solomon has taken the throne. And then in chapter 3, Solomon, it's basically Solomon's ask and application of wisdom. Okay, so this is this, you, you probably know a little bit about this story, if you know anything about Solomon, but if not, it's okay, we'll look at it together. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Okay, so pause, tuck that away for later, that's a real bummer. But also we have a negativity bias. So you're going to think and read and remember that. I I did this week. So I'm letting you know my own bias. Uh, He sacrificed and made offerings to other gods. What an idiot. But look what happened first. Solomon loved Yahweh. He loved God. He walked in a lot of ways in the the, the statutes of David, his father. But yeah, he he was a mess. He was also a violator of God's word. But look down in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God. You have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's immature. He's inexperienced. I do not know how to go out or come in. Verse 8. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people. Too many to be numbered and counted for a multitude. Tuck that away. It's exactly what God said to Abraham would happen. Verse 9, this is what I want us to see. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, But if asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. This is the word of the Lord. That long section there, verses basically 1 through 15, includes Solomon's request for wisdom, for discernment, for for knowledge. If we would have kept reading verse 16 to the end of the chapter, then is an application of that. It's the story you probably have heard about. Two prostitutes, they each have a son. One of them accidentally kills it, and then they come to David, and they like, what to do? And he applies his knowledge. I would encourage you to read it. It's a fascinating story of Solomon's discernment, but it's just an example, it's an application of his wisdom. But pause for a second. Wisdom? That's the ask. He really could have asked for anything, and right now you're probably thinking of, like, Aladdin, or the other stories with genies, and what does everybody ask for? Money, power, fame, immortality. I don't know if I committed heresy just by, I'm not comparing God to a genie, but you know what I'm saying. You think of those stories. Out of everything in the world, anything Solomon could have asked for, give me wisdom and knowledge. And you see what he said? It was for a purpose. So I can be a good king. So I can lead your people, serve your people. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding, knowledge. Let me know you, God, and let me know your creation. You might notice that all of our stories as we've been serving the Old Testament has never been, I think, double-check me on this, I hope this is true, it's never been Roger or myself applying a text to you by saying, be like this person. Whether it's Abraham or David, certainly not Solomon as we're coming to Solomon. I'm preaching Solomon to you, now just go be like Solomon. That would be unhelpful. Because the Bible's not really a story filled with heroes to emulate. And as a matter of fact, as we read it that way, we're going to be burnt out, exhausted, maybe even filled with despair. The biblical story and why we're surveying God's unfolding grace in the Old Testament is because it's a story about God. A good and gracious God who pursues sinners. And so I'm not telling you this morning to be like Solomon. As a matter of fact, the New City staff this past week toured Hope Center on the east side of Indianapolis towards New Pal, uh, prayerfully considering partnership with, with the Hope Center and we got to see their amazing compound, truly. And in one of their Bible classrooms, because uh, they, they rescue and, and help ladies from uh, backgrounds of sex trafficking and, and trauma get back on their feet. One of their classrooms is a Bible classroom where they, they instruct in the scriptures and on the whiteboard, they had this sentence and I took a picture of it because I, I thought it was perfectly applying to what I'm saying here. So the Bible is about the great God of people, not the great people of God. Why that long introduction? Well, don't be like Solomon in a lot of ways, but I do think there's something for us to learn here. I don't often do this, but maybe I could even speak to the students for just a moment. This is where the moms and dads are elbowing. I see it happening right now. Pay attention. Kids, Young ones, maybe you're students and you find yourself in rooted or youth group or even in college, I think there's a lesson for you this morning. Here it is. Get wisdom. Get knowledge, wisdom. Throughout the scriptures, it becomes almost synonymous with knowing God, know Him. Know Him as He's revealed Himself in His Word and in creation around us. Get wisdom. Out of everything Solomon could have asked for, that was his ask. Students, listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 3. Blessed or flourishing, happy. Flourishing is the one who finds wisdom, who gets understanding. For the gain from her... Her is the wisdom. It's just being personified. Is better than silver. Wisdom. Her profit is better than gold. More precious than jewels. Her ways are pleasantness and all of her paths peace. My son, my daughter, my my students of New City, young ones here, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Here you go. And they will be life. For your soul and an adornment for your neck. Get wisdom. Young ones, kiddos, your parents aren't crazy. They might be, but actually, as they are are training you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they are not crazy. The purpose is your wisdom, the purpose is knowledge, the purpose is knowing Jesus. And everything he has said. And so, listen. One of the common refrains in our household with my seven, five, three, and baby. Not really with the baby, but the other three. Is, I know more than you. Can I get an amen? I drive to Cincinnati to see my in-laws a few times a year. My three-year-old thinks he knows how to get to Cincinnati. <laughs> I know more than you. Do you not tell me to turn here? That goes north. We're not going north. I know more than you. 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-years-old. It's still true. Mom, dad knows more than you. Listen to them. They're not crazy. I I, I mean this. As they are trying to follow Jesus and put their own sins to death and love Christ and teach you, they're training you, whether it's discipline or teaching or getting you together in the living room to read the Bible. Again, uh, they're teaching you wisdom. They love you. It's more precious than gold. So don't be like Solomon in all the ways, but I think we can learn from Solomon out of everything that was before him, he chose that, to know God, to get wisdom. So I'd encourage you to do the same thing. That's certainly what didn't just apply to the young ones, but I wanted to speak to them for a moment. I'm going on 32 and need a ton of wisdom. So does everyone in the room. So let's be like Solomon in that way. Lastly, chapter 4, 1 Kings, uh uh-oh, chapter 4, we are looking now at the peace and expansion of Solomon's reign. This should be on the back of the worship booklet. I hear you guys finding your way there. I'm just going to read a couple of these verses, although there's a lot of text. Look back at verse 20, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea, Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now we have a a bunch of examples of his dominion and of his wealth and riches. So jump down to verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all other men, and then we get some that are not as wise as Solomon. Look at verse 32. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees. From the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds, of reptiles, of fish. And look at this. <laughs> if you've been listening to our, our study through the Old Testament. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. So, what do we get from this? What's going on in the story? Well, one, just most plainly, we see how vast Solomon's rule was. The peace, the shalom that is there. Look at verse 20 again. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate, they drank, they were happy. That is a very different story than Joshua. Very different story than Judges. Even the guy we looked at last week, King David, was a man of war. He did a lot of work to get to where we are now. But now, peace. Shalom, happy, eating, drinking. But there's more going on here, not just that. The second thing I want us to see is how faithful God has been to his people. This is a big point, and I wish I had more time, but just know that back in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, he calls a people to himself, he says, come out of your kindred, out of your father's house, I'll make you a great nation, I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, I'm going to make you a light to the nations, give you a land, you're going to be great. I think, as the reader, so we're at a disadvantage in this way, we know the rest of the story. Right? We know what happens in First Kings 8 and 9 and, or, and 10. And, but I think as the reader, at least right now, if we were just to stop, I think we're supposed to think it's happening. It's happening. God's been faithful. He's done it. What he said to Abraham, great nation, check, verses 20 and 21. They have all this land. They're so numerous. Eating, drinking, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from that river to this and there i'm gonna make you a great people into a nation check verses 29 and 30 i'm gonna give you a place to dwell check that was joshua judges uh, and then solomon uh, samuels and kings he's given them a place god's place god's people in god's place i'm going to, you're gonna be a blessing to the nations a light to the nations check verse 34 all the nations are coming to hear solomon God is amazing, friends. He's been faithful, true, good. It's happening right before us. We're the generation that's gonna see it. Not. Because what David started, Solomon, perpetuates in terms of rebellion and sin and the rest of kings. Maybe if you're like me, every year in the Bible, Bible reading plan, I, I do a yearly Bible reading plan. Kings gets rough. Le- Leviticus gets rough, but kings, man, this guy, awful. That one's worshiping a different God. What? It's dark. Rebellion. But think about it. Really, one man named Abraham, it was Abram before that, becomes one family, which has 12 sons. They go as a small group into Egypt, are there as slaves for a number of generations, and come out thousands upon thousands upon thousands. They become twelve mighty tribes. They take the land of Israel, the holy land. And now we have Solomon's son, King uh, King Solomon, David's son, on the throne, and all the nations flocking to God. It's happening. But ultimately, we do see the vastness of the kingdom. We do see how God has been faithful. He is a promise keeping God to his people. But we know the whole story where they rebel. The people go into captivity. Ultimately, Solomon does this for us. He, and all that he is, his throne, points to a greater Solomon, a greater king. Solomon fails, he falls short. It's hinted at in our passage in chapter 3. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. As we already pointed out, Solomon loved the Lord, and he walked in the statutes of David, but he sacrificed made offerings at the high places. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, listen to a later king, one that comes from Solomon's blood, named Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, there's a reference in here to the Queen of South, the Queen of Sheba, who comes to him later in 1 Kings to hear about the great wisdom of Solomon. Our king, Jesus, says this, the the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. It's Jesus. We have someone greater more wise giving more peace than solomon solomon's wisdom junior varsity compared to jesus christ maybe even freshman practice squad solomon's peace and prosperity that was nice had a lot of money we see it t-ball compared to the wealth of king jesus he spoke the world and owns it all Solomon's kingship quality is a barely passing grade to the excellence of Jesus Christ, who the scriptures tell us was without spot or blemish, sinless, perfect. Solomon's fame was pretty good, pretty solid. The nations from all over are coming to him. The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, had heard of him. But compared to Christ, nothing. Who counted equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on flesh and becoming a servant so that every ear would hear him, every tongue confess, and every knee bow. Solomon's reach to the nations, that that was all right. King Jesus, as we already sang in the song, Is He Worthy, died to purchase and redeem a people from every tribe every tongue, every people, every nation, uniting them together as one body, one people through his reconciliatory work. Jesus is greater. His kingdom is now, friends. He is king now. He is on the throne now, and Solomon is nothing compared to King Jesus. So let us be challenged by verse 34. Look at it one more time. People of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. If that was true of people flocking to King Solomon, how much more should it be true of us who have the king, who know the king? Let us go to Jesus, flock to him, a people from all nations, knowing that he is gentle, he is accessible, and he's calling us, beckoning us to come. So if you, maybe that's the first time for you. If, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a, a Christian in this room, that invitation is for you. Maybe it's the millionth time for you. The invitation is still there. Come to Jesus. And the kindness of God didn't stop there. and Just giving us a king greater than Solomon. He gives us a meal. He gives us a, a meal of spiritual nourishment, a supper that sustains our faith and trust in this king. We call it the communion table. The Lord's table. All Christians are invited. This is a Christian meal for you. If you are harboring secret sin or in unresolved conflict with another brother or sister, or you're not a Christian, I would just encourage you just to wait, stay. It's not uncommon in the new city community for someone to stay seated. Maybe I would encourage you to use your worship booklet. There's some prayers in there to consider. But if you are following Jesus, maybe you related most to the, the description of Solomon. He loved the Lord, walked in the ways of the word but he really wrestles with other idols, really struggles with sin still. If you're honest and open, come to Jesus. This is a meal for you. In the New City community, what we'll do in a few moments is we'll, we'll go out this way and around to get the elements. You'll get bread and either red wine or white grape juice and then return to your seats from the inside. But I want to invite us all to the meal, the supper of a king, the king who is greater than Jesus and let him nourish your soul and feed you through bread and wine which point to something else his death and resurrection for you let me pray for us and as we do i'm going to have those serving the tables take your positions and we will be nourished by our king jesus lord you are good you are great far greater and far better than we can imagine i pray that you would be with us now as we by faith come to you whether it's the first time or the millionth time Encourage our faith this morning, King Jesus. Help us put to death sin in our lives as we take a glance at ourselves. But help us now look to you who is greater than Solomon. Nourish us, I pray, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. When you're prepared, go receive the elements and bring them back to your seats.